SMS Sarah Jane now on 31567. My first guest on the show tonight is a true survivor. She's been through the mill and come out shining. An example of what one's able to do if one faces one's own truths. Growing up as the daughter of a South African struggle hero, it was no easy feat for Lindy Ohani. And when her father was murdered on the 10th of April 1993, her life would change forever. Last year, she released her memoir, co-authored by Melinda Ferguson, giving a poignant and unashamedly honest insight into her life, her father, her family and the drug addiction that threatened to destroy her. Now, as we approach the 25th anniversary of her father's death, that book, Being Chris Harney's Daughter, has just been longlisted for the 2018 Alan Payton Award for Nonfiction, and I'm delighted to welcome Lindy Ohani to Late Nights. Lindy Ohani, welcome to Late Nights, and thanks so much for joining us again. It's lovely to have you on, as always. Thank you for having me. So listen, first of all, I need to say uh, congratulations because you are one of the long-listed nominees, soon to be, I'm confident, one of the shortlisted nominees uh, for the 2018 Times Alan Payton Award, uh, along with your co-writer, Melinda Ferguson. Well, from your lips to God's ears, but I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, just, it's just so amazing. I just, I can't believe it. I honestly cannot believe it. Can you really not? Because I was, I just wasn't surprised in the least. You know, it's just I don't know. I think it's that that whole thing. I don't know if it's a if it's a recovering addict thing or an mm. addict thing where it's so difficult to believe that people really love you. Yeah. I don't remember I don't know which popular culture thing is it where they love me, they really, yeah. really yeah. love me. So I always I'm always so surprised and humbled that people like anything that I'm doing, you know, and especially the book was so personal and yeah. I was so open and raw in it. So I actually expected a lot of people to not even rebuke per se, but to be taken aback or to be a bit judgmental. Mm. So it's been such a beautiful experience to find the piece of people that I've had interaction with just embracing my story and embracing me with so much love. Just take us back for those uh, who haven't yet read the book or who didn't hear our interview from probably around this time last year. Just tell yes. us because it, it was a it was a, a collaboration um, between you and your um, publisher Melinda Ferguson um, under her MF Books label. How did it come about that you and Melinda even were in the same circles? Do you know, it's, it's just it's a very, very long story, but it basically, when Melinda was still a true love as a journalist, mm. she did a story, they did a compilation of stories about children of struggle heroes. So true love reached out to me to find out if I'd like to be part of the series, and I accepted. And then when Melinda was interviewing me, she, she brought up the fact that my story is so interesting that have I ever thought of writing a book? And at that time, I completely dismissed her because what she didn't know is that I was still an active addict. And I just knew that there was no way I could write a story about my life and leave out this part. And at that time, I wasn't ready to come out. So then I went into treatment just a few, less than six months later. And then a year after I left the rehab center and I was a year clean, I heard her on the radio promoting her book called Smack, not Smacked, um, Crashed. And then I reached out to her and I told her that I'm now a year clean. Is she still interested in assisting me with this? And she responded very positively. So that that's began, began our journey. What were your first thoughts when you met Melinda? What did you what did you think of? She's going to kill me for asking this. What did you think of Melinda when you first met her? 
Well, it the, depends. Is it Melinda the, my interviewer or Melinda my co-author? Yeah. Because they are completely different people. And the, you know, like, it's so funny because, I mean, she, I have never really told her this, but from meeting her, it's kind of got the ball rolling because then after meeting her, I was intrigued by her. She's got such, she's got a larger-than-life personality, yeah. and she doesn't hold anything back. I mean, to be blunt, there's some verbal diarrhea sometimes that happens there. And I became so intrigued by this Melinda Ferguson. I researched her and I picked up her book, Smacked. And then that's when I began to realize that there is life after addiction. Yeah. Because before that, I just thought, okay, I can never tell anybody. And after reading, never tell anybody. And after reading the, her book and her story and meeting her, and uh, considering where she had come from after reading Smack to where she was at the time, and now she's completely even surpassed all of that, mm. I just couldn't believe it, and she inspired me. And then just a few other incidents happened in my life that I, in the book, please pick it up, <laughs> and um, that led me to realize that I needed help because mm. it was either going to be a death sentence or I was going to save myself. Let's talk about your addiction, and then obviously I, I want to talk about the, the book and, and your father also, but I want to talk about you um, as an addict because, or as a re- now a recovering addict, because as you said then when I asked you, you know, were you really surprised when you got the nomination? We as recovering addicts, as addicts, whatever, uh, we do have this thing of perpetual sort of self-hate and and mm. also, I don't know if you also, but but procrastination. So for addicts, I'm always amazed by the number of addicts that manage to write books because as a people, we're not massively, um, the, the fear of failure often is larger than the desire to produce or be creative. Do you think that's fair? I think it's completely right on the head because I feel even, you know, like Sarah, I just celebrated like three and a half years. Yeah. I still have, thank you, I still have that <laughs> crippling fear that I'm not good enough. Yeah. And I, it's always surprising people are like, but you've got this thing, you've got a, uh, your story published. Mm. But I, do, I don't know, I don't know if it's, it's self deprecating, but I still feel like it was a fluke. And I just, and then sometimes I have this paralyzing fear, it's as good as it's going to get. And it's just a terrible, terrible circle of shame on my part that I have to, it's part of my journey of recovery. So it wasn't just even about putting down the substances. It was about completely reinventing myself, finding out who I am, because I've been hiding more than 10 years under the influence that Lindua Honey didn't exist. Yeah. So I'm growing now and I'm trying to reach my potential at the same time trying to, I don't know, this horrifying, crippling fear that I'm not good enough. So it's all of, I'm recovering from all those things and trying to unlearn all those bad habits that came with everything. Can I read a bit from your book? Sure. Okay, so this is, um, you're talking about your, your using and, and how bad it had got. The cycle of using had me imprisoned. As much as I tried to deny it and keep convincing myself that I was a good mother, there were more and more nights that I would black out somewhere and not come home to Kaya and her babysitter. One night in 2012, I went to the house party of a friend of Kwesi in Parkmore. It was during the week, but of course I'd asked my live-in nanny to babysit. While most people bring a bottle of wine or a plate of snacks, I arrived with a gram. I proceeded to mix it all up with excessive drinking. I remember being really loud, dancing wildly and speaking a lot of rubbish, which made some people feel really uncomfortable. Later, I was told how I'd lost control, slapped a friend and had to be physically restrained and forced to go to bed. 
I woke up the next morning in the same house with absolutely no recollection of what had happened, panicking because my phone battery had died during the night. I raced home to get Kaya to school, terrified that something had happened to my daughter. Kaya, in turn, was in a terrible state, petrified that something had happened to me. I was overwhelmed by guilt at having put my little girl through such fear. With me out the whole night and unable to reach me, my nanny had panicked and phoned my mother and sister. Of course, there was hell to pay, following, followed by screaming matches between Mama and me. Although Kai was still besotted with me, she could sense something really was, was really wrong. From then on, she would get really scared and clingy whenever I left the house, anxious that her mommy wouldn't come home. In waking moments, usually the following day, when the terrible cocaine blues descended, I was crippled by guilt for Kaya and self-hatred for myself. Then I would promise myself I would never do it again. I'd stay home for a few weeks, be the perfect mother, but then something would come up and the cycle would start all over again. Even when I wasn't using, cocaine was on my mind all the time. It had me in the grip of its white powdery tentacles like a toxic lover. Sure. Oh my gosh. Do you know that I still cringe now? Well, as you're reading it, and I, I, I mean, I know what comes next. I'm just like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Yeah. It is just terrible. But do you, you know, and, and you have the most beautiful daughter and, and you guys adore each other. How, I mean, obviously she won't have read the book because she's still quite young. But how, how do you explain addiction to a small child? When I went into rehab, I had to explain to where mommy was going to. And at that time, because she was still nine, I explained that I decided to focus on alcohol because that is more visible to her. She could see, you know. So I chose to just be blatantly honest. I told her that mommy is sick and I need to get help because of the way I drink and mommy is not herself when she drinks. And then she nodded. Sure. So the fact the fact that she could even acknowledge it, and you know she didn't even say, no, mommy, there's nothing wrong with you, please don't go. Mm-hmm. She nodded, and I just explained to her that I'm fighting for our future, oh. you know, that this is about making our lives better, and mommy's going to get better, I'm going to get help. And that's how she got it, and um, a few, I think a year later, she happened to be snooping and she picked up the life story one has to write in the rehab. Yeah, I remember it well. <laughs> She read it, and you know, in those life stories, everything is just blah, Oh, it's out there, know? hey? Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> out there. And then she read about everything, including my cocaine addiction. I still don't know if she completely grasps what it is, mm. but I've explained to her that it's drugs. Yeah. And this is, this is what they do to you and everything like that. So I'm, I'm quite open with her and very honest about everything that I've done because it's just it's easier for, for me. For her to know what is, what what's going on with mummy, like even when I celebrate these different moments. yeah, I was going to ask, does she celebrate with you? I do. She does. I'm like, guess what? Mummy is two years clean today, or whatever. Oh. And then she just goes. She always says, "Well done, mummy. I'm so proud oh. of you." <laughs> so it's sure. amazing because it's it's literally our journey. Yeah, you know, because the the more time that goes, the the stronger that I become. She can see that. And now, like when I say, babe, I'm just going out, bye, mom. Because mm. so, I just remembered, as you read that passage, about how clingy she was. Now she has no, 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 no fears or anything. She's like, what time are you coming back at 10? And when 10 comes, mommy walks through the door. Sure. And she knows that. It's, like, it's, it's so weird how 
how how proud I am that I've become so reliable now to my daughter. Isn't it amazing? I mean, things that are like the norm should be the norm in the fact that my daughter has no fear that when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. Apart from your relationship with Kyle, what has been the biggest gift of recovery for you? You can say oh. meeting me. You can say meeting me. <laughs> well, naturally. <laughs> so, in a, <laughs> aside from aside from becoming lifelong friends with and in in uh, almost unimaginable admiration of Sarah Jane King, of um, the, the, I mean, that, that's all about saying. I don't even know why you brought it up. <laughs> the highlight of your recovery has been. I I don't. Do you know that it's just. Is it day-to-day life? It's, it's, I was about to say that, feeling every single thing. Yeah. Being part, being present in life. Even with the pits, and, and they, when they do come, they suck. Oy, yeah. But the fact that I can, I can go through them without any kind of crutch is superb, mm. you know? And, and the, I, you know, like just looking forward to things without feeling gloom and doom all the time, you know? Mm. I, I look forward to, to different milestones. Like, as much as I talk about this crippling fear, I know that it's all in my head, and I yeah. have to work through it. So just just living life, and I, I feel like I've got a second chance and a second lease of life. Yeah. So that's just amazing. You know what's always interesting for me is, like, when when I went into treatment, and you and the people that you're in treatment with in, in rehab become, in, because of the nature of what you're doing, immediately seem to become very, very close. And I remember looking at a lot of them and thinking, I can't ever imagine you having used because you only know them in that sober I mean still quite mentally unstable but in that sober state and so there's friends of mine who I've had for what 10 it'll be 11 years this year um and I think and I like I've it seems strange to me that I've never seen them off their head and when I when like when we're together I can't imagine you Ever. Because we are both quite mental, so imagine. <laughs> and we, remember, you and I always talk about it's a good thing we didn't know each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> God, imagine. Yeah. There would be no books that would imagine. <laughs> There'd be no Alan Payton. No, there'd be no Sarah Jane and Lindy, actually. Just rumors no. of the uh, recent past. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so... As, as awesome as recovery is, um, the, the gift of recovery doesn't come without a great deal of hard work. Um, and, and obviously people don't need to get into recovery unless things have been pretty bad. And the, and the thing that I read there uh, from the book, Being Chris Hani's Daughter, published by Jakana uh, and MF Books, Joe Berg, go and buy it, please, um, is that um, you have to have gone through the hell and you write very honestly about it. Was there any point in the writing process that you thought, you know, that people are going to be shocked. My mom, my sister, my what, people are going to be shocked or disappointed. And did that ever stick with you and you thought, I don't know if I can do this? The, 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 the one thing, as I, saw, I wrote in the book, is that I, I had always, you know, um, thought I was a good mom. And I thought that was the thing that I portrayed to people out there. And I remember thinking that I don't think I want to write anything about how bad it was because I don't want people to judge me as a mother. Then I realized, actually, that was part of the biggest problem. And I need to just be honest about that. But you know that, as you say, when things are really bad, 
uh, my mom and my sister found out with the rehab process because they just thought it was a really bad drinking problem. Mm. So they found out more about how bad the drug aspect was. But at the time, by the time the book came out, babe, and by the time I went to rehab, it was so bad, Sarah, that everyone knew, you know? Everybody knew. Everyone was, was fearful. Everyone was talking about it. It's just I didn't know that people knew. I thought I was the best yeah. secret keeper you in like the world. I'm doing amazingly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no one knew. No one's catching on. My, exactly. <laughs> and, but the thing is, everyone was fearful for my life. Mm. So by the time I went to rehab, it was a sigh of relief. And by the time I wrote the book, even those who didn't know how bad it was, people were just so happy that I managed to claw out of this depths of despair. Sure, sure. Let's talk about the book a little bit more. It's called Being Chris Hania's Daughter. And I remember when, um, I don't know if you know this actually, but when you guys were writing and Melinda had said to me, um, so I said, oh, what are you doing at the moment? Like, what are you working on? She said, I can't tell you. It's like, it's top secret. I can't possibly tell you. And I said, you have to tell me. And I basically forced her into telling me. And she said, you have to swear on your life. You're not going to tell anyone, (laughs) Uh, which I did. And she said, I'm writing a book with Lindy Wahani. And I was like, oh, my God. And But she did. what she didn't say was, she's a recovering addict, blah, blah, blah. She just said, I'm writing this book. So my thought was, it's going to be a book about Chris Hani. Which it is and it isn't. I mean, who came up with the title, first of all, Being Chris Honey's Daughter? I did. Mm. I did. Yeah. Love it. Because because just my whole life was about this. Yeah. You know, it was just, it, it was all about being Chris Honey's daughter. Like, in, talk talk to me a little bit more about that. Because I, you know, as as somebody who is just, who is not Chris Honey's daughter or is not, a, you know, doesn't have that, would it be that you would get introduced as, this is Chris Honey's daughter? And not as this is Lindiwe. Well, it would always be this is Lindiwe. And oh, do you know who she is? Okay. And it wouldn't be like oh, she's amazing, eccentric, funny Lindy. Yeah, no. yeah. It would always be like you know who she is. This is Chris Honey's daughter. And so there was that one thing, and the fact that I felt that I wasn't living up to being Chris Honey's daughter yeah. because he was so much larger than life. So it. I always felt that it was I was growing up under this huge shadow that I could never ever ever I don't know come out of or or be better than Chris Hanis or be any kind of person. So I just I just chose not to even bother mm. and not to even try. So it was just it was just this whole vicious circle that I believe that people have certain expectations of the kind of person that I should be or what I was meant to be, and when they met me, it was a complete and utter letdown. Mm. And I just, and I also felt that I wasn't living up to my potential, which I wasn't, to be honest. And that I'd just, you know, I'd never, I'd never be greater than my father, or great as my father, or have his legacy. So let me just not bother doing anything with my life. What I love about the book is how you write about your father as being your daddy. You know, if any, if if. Any conversations that we have around around your dad and, and around other struggle heroes, um, we're seeing them from from our perspective, um, as we you know, and you speak about this in the book as almost as if they belong to us, rather than um, we're we're borrowing them from a family, from a family of you know of, of children and wives and uh, and whoever else. And I love how you how you talk about your daddy and that relationship that you you guys had with him. He was just, 
And you know that the, the I and completely understand that people had or have those or had or have those feelings towards him because everyone says what kind of what kind of a man was he mm-hmm. at home? He was the same as he was to the people that he met out there. You know, he was just completely genuine and warm. And, okay, maybe the part that the people out of the house didn't see was he was a complete goofball, yeah. you know? And, and of course, as my father, it was completely and utterly embarrassing. But he just had this knack of knowing what to say. Like, I always say to people that my father, daddy never, ever shouted at us. Never. He he did all hits us. He did not believe in corporal punishment. We believe he did something worse. He would sit and talk to us like adults, you know. <laughs> and he would make you feel so, like, just, you know, you do something silly. Like, my sister, my late sister, Crazy, and I used to fight like cat and dog. Mm. And my mother would scream at us and nothing would work. And then she'd say, wait till your father comes home. That was enough to just pull us apart automatically. And then she'd carry through. She'd follow through with her threat and tell her father. Tell her, she'd always go, I can be, you know, these kids of yours. I've had enough. And then all you'd hear is, Linda, no more quiz. Come here. Oh, Lord. And now we're, now we're, now we're holding hands in solidarity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're about to get it. And yeah. then you'd be like, is this how we're raising you? And you said, no, Daddy. Are these the kind of young ladies you want to become? No, Daddy. Oh, what do you have to say to your mother? Mommy, we're sorry. Daddy, we're sorry. You just, you girls are just disappointing me. And oh. that's the worst. Oh. <gasps> you felt like, just smack me, please. Smack my yeah, phone. Not the disappointment. Yeah. yeah, that's the worst. That's but the worst. he was just, he was, he, you know, he, and I always say to people that when people say, what kind of man would you love in your life? I always say, I want my father. I want mm. a gentleman and a soldier, you sure. know, because he was just the epitome of greatness. And even, you know, like say, even considering the fact that on Tuesday, it's his 25th yeah. year being taken from yeah. us. It's just every time, even as I'm talking to you now, I just, I'm closing my eyes and I'm just remembering him and it feels honestly like yesterday sure you know like friends of mine have have said before before we knew each other but you know when i when i first when i first came back to south africa and and in conversation the death of chris honey and i don't know if this is fortunate or unfortunate is one of those things that people always remember and it's the case of where were you when you heard mm-hmm. and the number of stories that i've heard you know and that people talking about that easter weekend and and this and the other and you know it it's incredible to me because it's something that impacted so many people's lives but none more so than than you guys for your mom and 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 you guys do you ever feel like you're carrying the the sort of burden of other people's you know like if people come up to you and say oh god i remember where i was and it was so awful and you kind of think well yeah it was awful for us <laughs> you know it's so fun because i uh, that's one of the first things i was i shared with mel yeah that my whole my whole life, well, at least the last 25 years, when people found out who I was, the first thing they'd say to me is like, oh, my God, you know, I remember where I was that day. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't stop there. They would oh, tell me how they heard it, how they lived through it and everything. And I, and I used to think, what do they want me to do? Yeah. And then, you know, Sarah, I used to find myself saying, I'm so sorry. Oh. <laughs> I'm so sorry yeah, for you. Yeah, so sorry for you. And, yeah. and, and for a long time, especially when I was in my late teens, I felt so resentful. Like, mm. 
like people by people telling me this over and over again i have to relive the worst day of my life over again through their eyes because as they're sharing their memories mine comes back to life you know and then i realized actually while i was writing the book and just before that people don't don't come to me and share those stories to um out of spite or to be cruel it's almost a commiseration that we are mm. with you. Mm. You know, we love your family, we loved your father, and we are holding your hands with you. You know, they're not trying to say that they felt his death more than I did or it was more of a tragedy for them. They just want to, they wanted to let me know I'm not alone. But I didn't see it because I was obviously immature and then I, later I was, you know, lighted by the drugs. Yes. <laughs> But as I came to and as I'm coming into my own, I realized that is how people were trying to reach out and say, we were there with you, my child. We were mourning with you. You guys were never alone. Mm -hmm. And I find that so incredibly powerful and so loving of the South African people because they were, they were, it was from all walks of life of South African people. Yeah. You know, it was just, it's beautiful. Even up to this day, I, I always thank the South African people because I don't think we would have gotten through without their love. And actually, even more than that, Daddy's legend, Daddy's, um, his, his um, memory mm. and his legacy have been carried through by the love that they have for him. So mm. I'll always be grateful and humbled by them. Sweet, I have to ask him, and you know, we're talking about the anniversary, obviously, um, of uh, of your father's murder. It's on uh, the 10th, so what's that? Yes, Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday. Um, we obviously lost in the last week um, a, another great um, struggle stalwart, and I yes. just wanted to ask: Have you been have you been in touch with the family, with uh, Zinzi, with Zanani, with uh, with Zoleka? I know you used to refer to um, uh, Mum Winnie as my day one, which just used to mm. break my heart. Have you been in touch with them at all? I have. I've seen them. I've seen them. Hmm. It's, it's completely and utterly. It's, it's just so incredibly sad because I even said to my mom you know even though big mommy we knew she was she was older and everything but it's just she's just one of those people that I thought would live forever mm. you know it's just it's I don't know I've it's, it's painful it's incredibly painful and of course it's painful for the family yeah 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 it's a different type of situation obviously you know, your your father was murdered, and and Mum Winnie died of of natural causes, and at a at a, at the age of of eighty two. But the focus that will be on the family now, undoubtedly, and I, I hope that we as media are able to respect, perhaps in a better way than we have been able to previously, that the family must have time to grieve, uh, because they're not grieving uh, Winnie Madikazela Mandela; they're grieving Mum and Mama and. Uh, do you think that we're handling it okay, the media currently? Um, of course not. Of course not. Um, <laughs> I think that um, Big Mummy has been just portrayed quite terribly in the media in terms of her past and everything. And the thing is, the things that the media are talking about are not secrets. We all knew them. Yep. But for some reason, it seems they want to flog her more now. Mm. And it's, and I just find it a bit sad mm. that someone who has, who has gone through life sacrificing so much and contributing so much that they want to leave us with this. Yeah. And I just wish that we had more respect for what people contributed to this country. 
you know? Because mm-hmm. as I say, the things that they're bringing up are not secrets. And she went to trial for all of these things. Absolutely. And it's just so, that makes me incredibly sad. But there have been moments where she's been written about beautifully. Mm. And I haven't seen her, the hounding of her family. But, you know, like, the, her family will, right now, in the, in the, in the past week and the week that's to follow until the funeral, is when the family are not going to have time to really process the loss. Because, you know, in, in African culture, people are coming and mm, paying mm. condolences. So it's when people leave and now they're left by themselves that they will feel more than ever, you know, that she's gone. So yeah. that's when the family's um, real grieving process begins. Yeah, indeed, yeah. indeed. What will you be doing on Tuesday? Anything? Yes, my darling. Um, they are commemorating Daddy as um, they normally do this at his graveyard. Mm-hmm. So I'll be saying a speechy poo and I'm <laughs> Will you? wrecked with nerves. No, shut up. You're not. <laughs> I really am. I really am. I believe that I have a slight ulcer that has developed. <laughs> but um, so we'll, that's what we'll be doing. We'll be in Boxburg commemorating mm-hmm. his 25th anniversary. I'm not too sure the specifics of what's mm-hmm. going to happen, mm-hmm. but I'm sure it will be a prayer laying down wreath or two. Yeah. yeah. Just remembering Chris, honey. Yeah, indeed. I'll be thinking of you and him and the rest of the family and hope you have a beautiful uh, moment there in commemoration. And just finally, I really have to say on a really serious note, I'm I'm fingers crossed for you for this Alan Payton. I know I shouldn't sort of, I don't want you to think I'm jinxing it, but if, if you win this Alan Payton, I might lose myself. (laughs) <laughs> I will, I will, you will hear me screaming from Cape Town. Seriously, I will be so excited if you, if you win this. And I think there's a really good chance. That, can I say that without jinxing it? I think you can say that. Yeah! I'm going to say what the pros always say, sir. It's just an honor to be nominated. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Sure. No, but seriously, it's, it's really, really, it's, it's just an amazing, amazing honor. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I'm really, really happy that they've embraced the story. And I'm so thrilled that Melinda pushed me and held my hand and loved me through this process. Mm. Because honestly, without the indomitable Miss Ferguson, yeah. there would be no Chris, being Chris Andy's daughter for sure. So I adore her for holding my hand throughout this whole process. I just want to share something. I remember when you came into studio last time and um, the book had just been released and I was still writing. And I remember saying, <laughs> saying to you, um, does Melinda send you WhatsApps? Because she keeps sending me WhatsApps. And then I'll see that she's online on Facebook Messenger and I immediately go off because I'm so terrified. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the I used to do the same, the fear. And then, you know, she wakes up so early. Like she wakes up at, at four in the morning. Exactly. And then when you, by the time you get up, the WhatsApp, when you see her name and you're yeah. like, okay, I can't read it now because then she'll see the She'll see text. the text. <laughs> <laughs> oh, us addicts. <laughs> I know, hey. She's honestly, Durban didn't know what hit it when we arrived there <laughs> a few months ago. That was like insane it on a didn't. whole other level. But Darling, I'm so happy, but I can't wait to see you at Kingsmead. I can't wait to see because, you at Kingsmead. And everything that's developed. I don't even want to mention everything that's developed in your life because I know there's a second book coming. There is. Don't I talk. Don't talk about it, I'm please. Not, please don't talk I'm about it because Melinda. No, not not for the wait. not for people, but for Melinda. I don't want to remind her. 
of the fact that she's saying, remember your deadline, remember your deadline. Is there a deadline already? December. Oh, Faith, I'm so proud of you because you're going to make it. I mean, you're not going to take the whole of November, yeah. but you're going to make it. I really hope so. Or you're going to find me, like, somewhere buried. <laughs> like, oh, just wow. terrified. Darling, it's always lovely to speak to you. I miss your face, um, but I will see you in a month's time. The book is called Being Chris Honey's Daughter, uh, published by MF Books, Joburg and Jakarna. It's nominated uh, for the Alan Payton Literary Award 2018. I am literally fingers, toes, everything crossed for you. Um, it would make my day if you